Hi, and welcome to the 402nd episode of the MWA podcast. I'm Kyle Barton, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Sean Wisniewski and Mark Hicks. And today it's a crew show. It's just us talking woodworking. Thanks How are y'all doing, guys? On, Kyle. Oh, you're welcome, Mark. <laughs> that's that's the hope. We're going to talk woodworking as we are, you know, having fun trying this on our own for the first time for a while. Exactly. Tweaking little things. Yeah, well, hopefully we can uh, give our listeners a little more in-depth view into what we've each been up to. But uh, before we do that, let's dip our toes in the woodworking news. Yeah. So first off, um, Microjig has a new gauge thingamajig. Um, I want to call it, but they call it a, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a mi- it's a micro-majig, not a thing. Micro-majig. Oh, there you go. Oh, this opportunity. <laughs> but it's called uh, the Fit Finder Half Gauge. And basically, this is a novel little thing that will find the middle of all kinds of boards, whether they're square or round. And um, it looks pretty interesting. I might actually pick one up. It's pretty uh, inexpensive. I think it's like 35 bucks, but I think you can buy it some places for $29.99. So really? you might like, want to I mean, Amazon selling it cheaper than Microjig is directly? That's what I've heard. Well, see, here's the thing. As I saw this about a week ago and put it in our show notes. And then this morning I'm doing my usual um thing just checking stuff before our show just to make sure i hadn't missed anything and uh guess who's launched a woodworking news site well we all know that it's fine woodworking and guess what they highlighted this particular thing they said it was 30 bucks so i uh are 29.99 so i took their word for it that maybe there are some retailers that are selling it for uh 30 bucks but micro jig itself is selling it for 35 dollars or 34.99 but anyway Enough of my uh, complaints about uh, fine woodworking, stealing my woodworking news segment. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, this looks to be pretty, pretty uh, unique. You can use it, like I said, to find the middle of stock. And then, of course, use it also to uh, set blades and stuff, you know, heights of blades. And, you know, um, they show it being real handy to do like lap joints and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, it looks pretty good. And, you know. Almost everything I've got from them, almost, yeah, everything I've gotten from Microjig has always been a quality product. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to uh, pick one of these up. How do yeah, I, I mean, do it with it, my hand saws? <laughs> well, you know. Um, <laughs> it's for marking. Yeah, right? you can mark it. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. The plastic with a marking knife seems like a bad combination. But yeah, this thing looks, yeah. it looks really cool. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of gizmos but i hate marking the center on stock when i'm going to turn right. it yep and um like this could get rid of that loathsome task for me so and there and there's all sorts of of little you know v-shaped things to mark centers of rounds mm-hmm. right i mean there's yeah i mean i, yeah, I made there's, one there's but, ways yeah yeah um uh, but you know and this is this you know, hand hand tools. Sorry, but you know, it seems like this is power tool related. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, as far as general, this this is like uh, I don't want to compare Microjig to to what Woodpeckers is doing, as, as they're commonly in our news. But mm-hmm. um, this isn't quite as precise as what Woodpeckers does, as they're like precision milling something, and this is a, a plastic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's just not you. You can just by by eye you can tell this isn't quite as precise. So yeah, I bet it works pretty so well though. When it it'll works, get you, get you close, you know, and it'll it'll get you awfully close, if not yeah. if not right on. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm always looking for the halves of stock and stuff. So, yeah, yeah I'm probably going to pick one of these up and we'll see mm, how, mm-hmm. how that works and I'll report back. Yeah, that'd be that. interesting. Um, yeah. Actually, as they're just announcing this due to unforeseen complications, delays for all fulfillment and shipping services in three to five days. Mm-hmm. Might have to wait, but Might that's have to not wait. the worst. Three to five days, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's better than my wait times. And and you know, <laughs> and, you know, it's been it's been a while since I've met or we've been at any shows where I got to talk to the microjig guys, but they're all good people. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's I mean for the for the price of entry, that's not terrible. Mm-mm. It's it's a fun little geometry thing, like how yeah. that works. Yeah, I think that's you know? probably the most interesting part about it is to just get it and be like, okay, how does all this stuff? How does it mm-hmm. always find a half, no matter which edge I'm pushing it against? Yeah, you know? yeah. Because when this is on the uh, ground and this thing touches down, sliding on an, on an angled plane, it's always going to be half. And there's yeah. just just mathematical truth in that. Pythagoras. Yes. Pythagoras theorem. Yes. Yeah. The Pythagorean yeah. theorem. Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. Yes. See. Man, that was my okay. jam. Uh, that's right. high school math, man. <laughs> yep. So I love anyway, that's kind of the way theorem. this thing all works. But yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. So yeah. It, it is a squared plus b squared equals c yeah. squared. I mean, and now what's interesting is they call this the fit finder half gauge. So I wonder if they're going to come out with a third gauge or a fifth gauge or something yeah. like that. Different so. angle does the same kind of thing, you know, just yep. to a different scale. That Fun. would absolutely. Third that, that's that's where yeah. it gets interesting. Like I'm, yeah. I'm curious about centers, especially in rounds like this. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that is something that's very useful yes. um, as a dado maybe mm-hmm. you know as a as a joint like they show like the like a, a lock miter you know router yeah. bit or something like that that's pretty cool yeah like that that really comes in handy um or half laps if you can know half laps with yeah and half much laps, bus, yeah, yeah. and as much fantastic. as i i made light of of their accuracy for that kind of work that's probably easily as good as me taking a sliding square and a pencil and finding mm-hmm. it myself Mm-hmm. Or doing math, you know, going okay, that is this and a and a sixty fourth heavy, you know, like. Oh, I, I like take the square and get close, and then just keep adjusting it till I eventually <laughs> just pull out the the router router. Uh, no, no, router, I'm talking like uh, like on a double square or something like that. Just I just uh, um, you know, I just I just make a mark where it's pretty much near the center, and then I just pretty keep close. adjusting it till go, I and then check it from the other side and go, oh, not yeah. quite. Yep, yep. exactly. Yep. And walk it in. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean for something like this, I mean if you're if you're a turner, I mean this mm-hmm. this is maybe overcomplicated, you know, for what else is out there, but it also does that kind of thing where this is a, a largely manual tool and all you need to know is that you're spinning it center to center. Yep. You know, poke your poke your bits in the end and, and go to town. It's gonna be close yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this will um do away with my center finder for turning, but it might. We'll, we'll it's find supposed out. To. Yeah. I, I, and also, it, if you could do the X and the Y mm-hmm. axis in one setup, yeah. that's the thing. That's the the killer that's, app right there. Yeah, yeah right there. It's just products, make those two yeah. things meet, and you got it. That's that's where it's awesome. And it doesn't have to necessarily be X and Y. It can be X and well, I mean, it, degree, if you've got yeah. if you've got a point, you know, if you if you if yep. you can mark the center point without having to spin the stock mm-hmm. uh, to make a second mark, that's that's that would pay for itself pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. I agree. So. I agree. Yep. And, and and even the only downside to that would like if I'm doing like a bowl blank, the capacity won't fit, right? I mean, I'm I've got a six inch bowl blank. 
I got to find center. That's that's maybe outside of this thing's capabilities, but yeah, um, I think it's uh, three inches is the limit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's some limitation there, yeah. but it's it's uh at, for the price, I think that's pretty slick. It's mm-hmm. you know just a handy to have. You might not use it every day, but you might find more than one time to use it, and it's probably worth it right there. Yep, I could have actually used it today. So there you go. Although I say that as I was like, playing cornhole just one v one with my son the other day, and he was like, oh. I found an app. I'm like, oh, we're going to get dumber. If we don't have to do the simple math of the game, <laughs> I'm going to stop thinking about it and I'm going to get dumber. And that's kind of what this is. You know, like, oh, like you don't have to guess on your or do math to figure out your half. You're just going to slide a thing down, lock it down, slide it yep. over. and Oh, there you go. Mark it. And that's your half. That's right. So not for everybody. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, it's a pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Well, um, I want to move over to um, Texas Heritage Woodworks. They have um, got into, I guess, the tool making business a little bit for leatherworks. Now, I know we're strictly a woodworking podcast and usually don't talk about anything other than woodworking or bees or, or rocketry or weather. <laughs> yeah. But Rose, um, like maps, we do a little bit of maps here and there. Yeah, exactly. But um, but our friend Jason, Jason Thigpen over at uh, Texas Heritage Woodworks, you know, he does all the leather aprons and tool rolls and canvas and all of that kind of stuff. But um, he's always shown himself, uh, you know, doing those little rivets, uh, yep. the little copper brass rivets. So I guess he decided to uh, make uh, a forged rivet tool set to actually set those rivets and um, you can buy them. And it's a, I think it's a two piece thing. I think one um piece basically pins the little um brass or copper circle onto the rivet and then the and then the other one will actually uh then then when you assemble the two pieces of leather or canvas or whatever you have the other one will actually pin that little thing over so that it's all secure so yeah once the one's the setter and the other is the pin pinning yeah, yeah so okay. you set and, yeah yeah, it looks pretty good. He's got two different sizes uh, mm-hmm. for number nine and ten rivets, and another one that's used with number twelve and fourteen rivets. And it's forged. It's made out of forty-one forty steel, and uh, looks pretty good. And it's a hundred and ten dollars for the set. And uh, they're currently in production. We'll be selling those out in two weeks. So if you're if you do some leather work or are interested yeah. in getting into leather work, um, this would be cool. I think if I had one of these, I'd be riveting everything inside. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like any new tool, you just try yeah. to find a use for it. Um, exactly. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like I, I, I will claim ignorance on leather working tools. I, yeah. I know very little. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very pleased with um, the, the stuff of Jason's that I have both mm-hmm. uh canvas and leather um yeah. i still at work i i have his coffee mug which is a mason jar and a leather wrap that he yep. made and i absolutely love it um i and, and i admire his rivets mm-hmm. often you know <laughs> like it's it's really kind of cool um yeah. to, to see them in use every day um so not for the every guy or girl but um as long as these are are uh comparable and and uh you know, similar in use to, um, to, to what else is out there. I have no idea what else is out there. I yeah. No, I like it. Like you, I've seen, I've seen him mm. post videos of him just hammering rivets mm-hmm. by the hundreds. You know, I, I can imagine. I bought a um, rivet setter from, I don't know, like Tandy or something when I was doing the campaign chairs. 
Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. just garb. They're garbage. I mean, yeah. uh, so I, I'm gonna. This has to be at least ten or a hundred times better. <laughs> right. Than, oh uh, wow. Okay. Than yeah, that and that stuff, and it's so only just like candy, just you know, four or five times the cost. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing is he has a little in in this picture. What I also like is the uh, picture on his website where he shows these uh, tools. Is on the all? side of it, he has his uh, I guess a leather punch, little brass and steel thing. That's pretty interesting too. i remember when photos of those were floating around I, I can't remember who made those but they're they're awesome yeah they look that really ha- really good with age mm-hmm. that particular uh, the handle absolutely looks good with age and then the the blade itself that that has a name and i just saw it not too long ago and i don't remember but it's a it's not a dna bend but they 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 cut it into like blocks and then twist it Mm-hmm. And so that makes this this coil with with squares basically yeah, going around really it. Cool. You know, and yeah, it's really there's cool. a name to it. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah, those are those are slick. And then so I mean, there's there's your your hand riveting tool in that picture. You got a set of dividers, you got an awl, and you got a bunch of a whole mm-hmm. bunch of rivet, to, uh, you know, met pieces, and uh, and then the rivet tool. Yep, yep, looks looks. And you yourself cool. could be riveting in no time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So. Well, anyway, well, good luck to Jason and the tool, mm-hmm. and uh, looks pretty cool. Looks Absolutely. pretty cool. Looks Love nice. his stuff. Now, uh, next up, not completely woodworking related, but we can make it fit in, I think, is um, Lee Valley uh, put out a thing about a Viking arm assembly jacks. And uh, these are, looks like it's mainly for, you know, cabinetry and stuff like that, especially like kitchen cabinets and, and things that you're going to mount to the wall or like a console that you want free floating and the back mounted to a wall. And uh, it's this jack that can actually is pair jacks basically that can help raise stuff up. And I think the capacity of each of them is like 330 pounds. So they can, you know, together. Yeah, together I think it's double that. So you can really, um, you know, you know, put some heavy cabinetry up. Now, if you look at cool. the the bar it uses, it's it, it's kind of like an amplified, you know, not quite F clamp. You know, it's a you know different. I don't know what that kind of clamp would be, but um, it's stout. Like yeah. it's a thicker. It's thir- thirteen one half by thirteen sixteenths. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's that's a that's a big big boy, and I like they they show it actually working on a deck. Like yeah. clamping boards down, mm-hmm. you know, because anybody who's worked with non-composite decking knows that, you know, it can be a bear to move it, you know, yeah. to get the gap right. Yeah. That's a slick application. Yeah, it, it looks, it's these look like some beast tools, like just really tough tools. And they're yeah. priced like beast tools. I'll give them that. Yeah. 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 It says they're not cheap. They're 330 bucks or $329 exactly, should I say. But uh, 330 bucks for two of them. But if this is something you're doing on a day-to-day yeah. basis, like a bunch of built-ins and stuff like that, it would be highly worth it. Yes. Yeah. I I, I like this. You know, their, their words kind of spell it pretty – if the price price doesn't like get you – it, the, their their description for positioning heavy items mm-hmm. these powerful and precise tools are tremendous assets it goes down below a full squeeze raises the lift bar five sixteenths of an inch and a partial squeeze lets you gradually adjust position for finer increments so i mean one like like you said like with a cabinet if you've got a cabinet pressed against a wall these two yep. things will hold a cabinet and mm-hmm. be able to just go click 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 and and slowly jack up and hold yeah, where, and you where, can lower and lower them too at the same amount of yeah, control. Yeah, with the same yeah. kind of control. Oh, that's that's, awesome. that's pretty that's pretty cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's one of their 330 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it is. Yeah. I mean, for, for the installers, that's a, probably a enormously helpful tool. Yep. Yeah. But I think, um, what does it say? The range of these things are eight, eight and a half eight inches. inches, eight and a half inches, eight and a half inches. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's well worth it. And the uh, the base even has some screws in it, so you could actually screw this down to something if you need to rise these things up higher. Yeah, if you're yep. really getting serious. That's yep. it's a that's a wild application. I mean that's yep. that's something I've never really thought about, but like a sturdy ass, you know it, I mean it's it's a clamp in reverse more for form, you know. It's mm-hmm. a spreader. But yep. um that's that's slick. In, yep. in my days, I've never installed a floating cabinet, but I I know they're a thing. Yep. Yeah. And if I was if cool. I was the one that did like kitchen cabinets all day long and or you know bathroom remodeling or mm-hmm. any of that type of stuff, yeah, this would be a no brainer to pick up. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So anyway, we'll check that out at uh, LeeValley.com, and again, that's Viking Arm Assembly Jack. And uh, Viking is true; these are from Norway. So I say, I made me proudly. Hmm. Yes. So, well, um, you know, rounding us out in the woodworking news is uh, woodpeckers. You know, we do these uh, shows back to back and woodpeckers is always there for us with something new. (laughs) You got to appreciate that. You know, we really do appreciate woodpeckers. Now, this time is kind of a modification on something they've come out with, and that is their indexable combination uh, uh, square that they came out with um, a few months ago. Well, now they have the mini indexable combination and now double square. So it's basically a four to six inch mini version of that indexable square. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's got index where it can uh, uh, get right on the inch marks. Um, It's got a little I guess steel pin that indexes over and the base of the double in the base of the double square or the combination square. And it also has a little tab so that um, you can rest it on a piece of wood and it, everything stays level. So it's got a tab on the heel of it that you can extend. And, um, and then the square itself, it looks like it's in 16th and um, 32nd inch yeah. marks on it um but it, they also have the little grooves in it where you can put a pencil in and draw a line parallel to it so um it looks pretty good it's about the same price as most double or uh you know premium double and combination squares you know if you're looking at a steroid or something like that so it's about right. the same price range as those uh, maybe even a couple of bucks cheaper depending on which version of uh, the steroid you get so um yeah it looks pretty good they're they're, um, I guess they're six inch uh, combination squares right at a hundred bucks and the introductory offer um, regularly about a hundred nine bucks. So you are saving 20 bucks mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I mean, 10 bucks there. Um, but, uh, and then they have the double square, which I'm a big fan of double squares. I, I got, I have three of them or maybe I'll have four. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, they're, uh, $89 for the four inch double squares. And then what's also interesting is you can buy, uh, uh, separate blades. So you can buy an eight inch blade, a six inch blade and a four inch blade. that will work in all these, uh, mini indexable head units. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I was trying to see if the blades would work in like a Starrett. It seems like yeah. they would Is almost have to, but it doesn't that? say. 
Like, yeah, I don't like, think it looks like the blades only, you know, the stare, you can flip them over. Yeah, you can't and, flip the blades. Yeah, you can't flip the blades. Um, so I assume, you know, I was looking at that. That was the first question is, you know, what kind of rule is it a far for our rule, as they say? Now, I think this one's just on 30 seconds and 16th of an inch and it's repeated on the opposite side. That's yeah, what I wondered. According to would, the pictures, yeah. Now, would I would I trust that more than the way too cheap bought at Lowe's Empire combo square yes. that I have? Probably. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you would. Yes, you would. You should. Yes. I should. But, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this and is I, really... I, I will say I, I've absolutely used that square and just the rule to mm-hmm. mark things in the past, so... Yeah. But yeah, if I didn't have a full set of starrets, I would, and then some doubles on that, I might be tempted. And I'm sort of, I, I have a real weakness for uh, marking tools, and this is really scratching that itch. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I got the sale pricing ends at the uh, end of June, June 28th of 2022. For those of you in the future, um, but um, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. For sure. Yeah, good on you, woodpeckers. Keep keep bringing out the good stuff. Exactly. They say that they just weren't ready, but I think they were pacing themselves to make sure that they could get in the news segment for the podcast. I'm pretty sure that's (laughs) it. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're listening to us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's move on to our uh, Patreon shout out. So, who do we have to thank this week? Yeah, we always like to give a big thanks to our Patreon supporters, uh, to our patrons, or patrons as they're known. Today, we're going to give a huge shout out to our friend, a, a former guest on our show, Chef Anthony Moraes. Thank you, Anthony. I always want to call an Anthony a Tony <laughs> uh, for, <laughs> for your support. If you'd like to be like the chef, uh, jo- join in, in his support of our show at MWA Podcast, or sorry, patreon.com slash MWA Podcast. Exactly. And thanks, Anthony. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Anthony. Fantastic. So uh, let's move on to what's in the shop. So, Mark, what are you working on? Uh, this week I had to sort of put together the uh, some, some Shave Horse kits. I had a, a few um, adjusters left from the last time I had them made, which was kind of a while ago. And um, I needed to, to, buy, to put some in some tubes with some plans. And so I've been sort of picking away at that a little bit each day. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I, I've got um, I need to I need to make some shave horses so I've been kind of this is part of this is getting stuff cleared out of the way to to get started on some shave horses so and then some computer stuff no upgrades imagine that imagine no that. no the 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 database for well for hobbyists um, and then yes. uh, eventually for for pros I think would be the, the end game there. Exactly. But hold that thought. Okay. We'll we'll talk more about that in a (laughs) moment. So Sean, what are you working on? So, you know, among, among a couple projects hanging, you know, the mulch is still in the driveway. Um, you know, the weather's been kind of iffy with a lot of rain lately, thankfully no flooding, like a lot of the country you've been seeing, but, um, a couple things. Um, we were strolling through the, uh, you know, Costco the other day, you know, like we do on our biweekly visits, skip or so. And, and it was like, Oh look, there's an air fryer for 40 bucks. That's the new hip thing that we didn't do. Oh, why don't we get one of those? Oh, what a great addition to the kitchen. If you don't have an air fryer and no, I didn't have a oil fryer before this. Uh, damn, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, you know? what are you air frying, Sean? Uh, we literally did chicken, like just a, uh, a, a rubbed, uh, chicken thighs tonight. 
Boom. Yep. Done. Um, They're also great. You know, for we did the first wings. thing. Yeah. We had leftover cooked um, like potato slices and carrots from some meal the day before, and we just fried them for a little bit, and those potato slices turned into French fries. That's great. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I mean, again, it's like the claims of healthier are are based on your fact that you might have been frying before and no we weren't doing that so that's not necessarily a thing but <laughs> so you've gotten less healthy in your cooking yeah i mean maybe <laughs> maybe but not really because i'm not adding anything that i wouldn't add to it normally i mean if, if i'm right. grilling i'm adding something to the grill yeah saute always got i gotta have oil in the pan mm-hmm. yeah well like i said i've heard they're great for chicken wings so yeah that's we haven't done chicken wings yet we did chicken thighs we've done yep. uh uh, I can't remember, but yeah, we've used it intermittently in the last week or so, and it's actually pretty good. But in other news, in in no relation to the British monarchy, the Queen is dead. Oh, and by that I mean my bee queen. Your new one. My new one. Yeah. Oh so, man. Let's let's walk walk through this this the the struggle slash drama of being a beekeeper. Um, and as much as you don't want to move quickly, we got that new queen. And mm-hmm. we put the new queen in, and the queen wasn't released in a few days, but the week the the hive was incredibly weak, and so we you know we we opened up the core of the little bee box to let the queen yep. come out, maybe earlier than they would have gotten her out. Fine, okay, oh she's in there. So a few days later, we're a little worried. They're not they're not eating much. You know, we're giving mm. them syrup and they're consuming it. So we're like, oh maybe they're just really super weak. We checked our other hive, and our other hive is just booming. It's just mm-hmm. it's absolutely going off the board's just it's really expanding it's it's super tall right now because we've had to add things to for it to expand into yeah. um and we were like oh let's take and i read up on this it was like you can take a a hive of brood which is mm-hmm. capped larvae that are growing chi- children effectively yeah and a couple nurses that are going to be hanging on there they don't fly away you can give it a little shake and all the flyers will fly and you can just you set that in another hive it should work just fine we checked it a week later Mm-hmm. We, all we were trying to do was strengthen the hive. We're almost certain they killed the queen. <laughs> yeah, and and converted some of the larvae that were in that the frame that we put in into emergency queen cells. Okay. And so the next time we talk, I may find that I have a new queen. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Like, it's so, just so, really so they wild. Yeah. The life cycle stuff. It's it's. Uh, so basically, you're going from two hives to one. Well, no, we still have two. The, okay. the, the, um, no, so yeah, th- that's what we didn't do. We could have just put the old, the, the weak hive into the strong hive and mm-hmm. we did the opposite. We took some of the strong hive and put it in. The, oh, okay. Trying, okay. Trying I, okay. I got you. I got you. I got you. Because Dr. Queen. There okay. Was I, a, thought you, I thought you were going the other way. Okay. Yeah, no, no. Okay. You know, so we're, okay. we're trying to have two. We don't want to have three again, right. but we were good with having two. We've, mm-hmm. I've got enough equipment for three, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it was it was just a, a thing, and it was like, and then you have immediate regret when we find out that man, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? There's no eggs. There's no nothing. There's no activity. Oh my God! There's queen cells. What? They're trying to make a new queen. Okay, maybe we didn't do the right thing. Although, otherwise, this hive might have died. Yeah. Because there was no way of reproduction. Yeah. You know, in the numbers they had, and so the other day, like it was warm, and we were out. It must have been the day after we checked on them, and you saw. There was activity at that hive. Great. Then the strong hive had a lot of 
there's mm-hmm. a lot of and there were like in, in the, the size of a frame you know this, this is a deep frame that was like full of brood and we like we were numbering and 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 taking really close account of what we were seeing in our last inspection i'm like okay this is captain this is captain this is open and this is not you know whatever and those some of those had to have hatched and so that population just grew by a few hundred in a day mm-hmm. you know and it just it there's a crazy overlap and as soon as you're born you're a this and then the nurses you know go up and they're forager so i i got to see a uh i got to see a a, a swarm in person oh really uh, yeah on sunday we were sitting in a park having lunch and i looked up and there was a lot of bees buzzing around in this uh pine tree right over our heads Mm-hmm. And I watched it for a little while, and then I you could see it's like an upside down skep, you know, start to form on a branch. And every once in a while, the chunk would fall off, and it was like a hundred bees that would just kind of disperse and fly around and go back up to the to the yep. pile. And then eventually they settled in, and it was very quiet. There was just this big mass of bees hanging on this branch. Yep. Um, and uh, you know that I from what I thought i understood about bees that's sort of a temporary thing they they hang out there until they find a place they want to go and then they they move on it was you know it was 20 25 feet in the air you couldn't you couldn't reach it if you wanted to uh to collect it so it's just kind of a thing i I, I kept watching every once in a while i'd look up there and they were still there when we left so yeah it was was fun to watch we had we had one of our hive swarm last year and we found it in our neighbor's tree just over the fence line Uh, you know Mm -hmm. yeah 30 40 feet in the air with no way we could get to them and they um they were there for four days mm-hmm. and then they were gone we don't know where they went but yeah they they absolutely do that they're they're going to try to find a home there's plenty of natural homes these things you know occur naturally we don't have to humans don't have to intervene um they'll find a way and i mean we don't want them in our homes there are times that absolutely they invade structures of homes and that's unfortunate but um i had a friend of mine just a couple weeks ago her her husband works for the the city and said oh you know he found this this swarm and there's a picture of yeah just what you described here's here's a ball of bees hanging from a branch <laughs> yeah and she's like what do you do do you want them i'm like uh, not us but you might want to <laughs> contact the local beekeepers association and here's the link you know probably somebody mm-hmm. <laughs> because i it's like i call free, I, like free I called bees. one and the, the guy just hung up on me <laughs> Oh no! I mean, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you you could say, eh. Yeah, yeah. I guess if if that that guy probably has enough bees. Yeah, I mean, it was funny or though. He, did, he didn't even like say no. I, I I I can't do that. He just hung up like just click. That's crazy. <laughs> but but it. You might have been necessarily... the third person that called him or something. You know. Maybe yeah, so. exactly. It's that it's time like, of year, right? This is. About- don't they yeah. swarm a lot this time of year as their the hives start to explode with activity and um... yeah it's it's i mean from the domestic side it's interesting because you can tell a little reasons why they would do it but it's not like there's a time of year or oh, okay or scenario that's that quick to analyze it's just oh, okay well there's no more space for her to lay she'll want to move yeah okay it was time. that's one thing yeah yeah you know, but that and that's when that was my comment to to my friend because it was it was mid May. I said, oh, that's kind of early around here because yeah. spring just ended end of April, first week of May. You know, we we were still getting frost at night. You know, it's not like there was huge growth of of foraging. You know, you know, fuel for the bees. You know, there there wasn't a lot of that. So 
you know, you know what's going on and how they're re, you know reproducing and that that kind of movement. It's 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 interesting, but that's cool. To, it is really cool to see, and it's good that you you notice that once they settled, they're incredibly quiet. They're mm-hmm. not a threat. They're not yellow jackets. They're they're honeybees. They they just they're gonna buzz around their thing, and their interest is doing what they're doing, they're not what you have. You know, they don't bug your food at a well, picnic. They're, they're pretty chill when they're swarming, right? They they're, are. They're in their own little world. And like, yeah, because I've seen people catch a swarm like that and they literally just like put a bucket under them, smack the branch and they all fall in the bucket, you know, and they yep. just carry them off. Yep. So yeah. it's, it's wild. I mean, that right. was my, my first time carrying a package home, you know, and it's a three pound package and that's what 3000 bees or whatever, <laughs> you know, in a box. And, you know, there's, there's a few buzzes as you're moving them, but, set them in my car and drive a mile home and there's nothing i didn't hear yeah. you know i've i've heard an angry you know yellow jacket in my car at some time in my <laughs> life it's like oh shit you know like oh let's you know like open the windows get the hell out of here and these guys are like totally okay you know and then getting them out i mean i'm barehanding them just dressed in my office clothing just like yeah whatever you know and, and no no bothers they didn't care they're really yeah. they, that's the cool part of it is they're they're not aggressive they're aggressive if you're interfering but otherwise mm-hmm. they're going to keep to themselves well fantastic yeah uh, yeah yeah well i i plan uh, uh i i love uh, hearing the stories but i don't plan to visit anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm beekeeping vicariously i i was yeah, i wanted but, to do it for the longest time and my wife finally just said no it's just not going to happen stop asking it's uh, <laughs> it, and that's the thing it, it's a hobby it's attention it costs money there's a lot of a lot of things to it you know, it, it is very interesting. You're going to learn a lot, but it's not a lot of work. Yeah. 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 It's not a terrible amount of work. It's, it's, it's probably more work to worry than the work you're actually going to do. I have to remind my wife that they're not as quick as your mind is there. The changes that occur happen over days, not hours, but yeah, you, you don't have to, you don't have to check, you know, check on them that often. And and it's not once they're in the swing of things, it's not bad. It's when the when the weather's bad and when the you know the darth you know when things stop blooming and they they struggle for food. You got to might intervene a little bit, but especially down in the south where you guys are, it's t- totally different from where I am. I've got to worry about deep winters. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's old. I just have to go down the street and visit my local honey yeah, guy. Get, yeah, get some local honey. That's pretty sweet. exactly exactly. I said we we I don't think we've really tapped into the the 15 pounds that we got a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I got plenty. Well, I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on the mead. I'm waiting on the mead. Yes, oh man, I gotta I'll, I'll have to look at the end of that. That's gonna be another hobby I don't need to get into. You've got until the next hand works with year and a half, year and three months. So <laughs> yeah, get exactly. on it. Okay. And start, I'll drive start, to that one. So I think you need like you know 20 or 30 pounds of honey. You know, make a couple glasses of mead. <laughs> Oh, boy. Anyway, Kyle, how about you? What you got? Um, I'm just kind of catching up with everything. Um, I still have it in my mind that I'm going to get back to chair making. And my goal is by July 1st, um, I will be fully back into, uh, you know, actually cranking out some a few chairs. So I'm spending this month just trying to build up as much inventory as I can. And so I'm just trying to catch up with that. I've been making all the little wooden parts I need for all of my uh, drilling guides. So, um, yeah, so it's going well so far. 
So, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, instead of trying to make these things, the way it's been going lately is just with the orders is like, I can't dedicate, all right, this week I'm going to do nothing but stretcher uh, drilling guides. And this week I'm going to be doing nothing but, you know, spindle drilling guides. I've been having to go back and forth. So I'm actually taking that time to say, hey, this week I'm just going to work on this and get that done. And luckily I have enough built up. So when orders do come in, I can fulfill them pretty quickly. So good. So that's basically all I've been doing. And um, the other thing I've been looking at is, you know, did a little bit of a shop reorg and I'm thinking about doing something more major like moving where my lathe currently sits, where my modder saw is drill press, just kind of rearranging a few things to see if I can't get something that's a little bit more ergonomic. I'm not sure if it is, but you know, Hey, you got to change stuff up every once in a while. So, you know, you have new places to lose your tools at. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you, when you're changing, you find the things you lost before. So it's, it's, exactly. a, it's a wash, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I still have, I still had this awesome ratcheting screwdriver that's, I lost somewhere somehow. And it's been lost for a good, probably five years now. And it's not turned up yet. So maybe there's washed hope. away in a flood. No, no, it hadn't <laughs> flooded yet uh, there. Keep my fingers crossed for yeah. this year. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't even know what happened to it. But anyway, so, yeah, so I'm hoping to get get uh, get back to doing some actual chairs and uh, some stuff like that. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But, yeah, everything's going well and uh, can't complain about that. One of the things I've always been looking at is adding lighting. So I may address that and I may go for some of that strip lighting and uh put some of that up it's you know it's i think the fixtures are actually little little uh, cleats that you then clip in these led strips to so i've been thinking about upgrading some lighting in a few areas with some of those led lights so we'll see how that goes too yeah it's never a bad idea to add a little bit of light yeah yeah it's 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 one of those things i probably complained on this show before is when I first built my shop, it was like, wow, this is as bright as an operating room. And now it's like, it's not that bright anymore. <laughs> is it me or is it the lighting? And it's I, both. I'm yeah, a little probably, bit of both. probably both, you know, <laughs> because I did say, okay, it's got to be the lighting. So let me replace all the bulbs. And I went, it's a little brighter, but it's not that much brighter. <laughs> so maybe it is me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe well, it's how, time, how time for that yours? cataract surgery. I don't know. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> How how high are your ceilings? They're, they're about high. somewhere between 12. Well, they're probably about at least 12 feet, probably 12 and a half to 13 feet. Okay. I just, yeah. I, I wonder if that, that uh, dictates a little, you know, of maybe best practices in lighting. Yeah, probably, probably, but you know, it's okay now. It's okay now. I mean, I can see fairly much, uh, fairly well, but you know. Uh, some extra lighting would not be out of the question, uh, especially in one couple of different areas that I think are a little dark. And so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I'm kind of excited about doing those those kind of things and, you know, bringing the, the light quality up. The one thing I don't have is I just have the one window in the place. So that kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, if I really wanted to do something, I could put some windows in, but I don't think I want to go to that trouble at this point. Yeah, that would be, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar. You know, I visited, yeah. but I don't remember being terribly dark. Windows would be interesting. Yeah. And then under under your house, you know, ground level, 
thing mm-hmm. as as houses normally are. But yeah. uh, like in your in your situation where where it's like a flood prone thing and you've experienced a flood, you know, that's that's an interesting venture. Yeah, yeah. If I wanted to put windows in, yeah, I'd probably have to wait till I got flooded out and stripped everything back to studs, mm. and then hmm, there'd be go. a good chance to put in some windows. Project. Little little <laughs> contingency plan for the next time it floods, because it's not an if, it's a when. It's a win. Yes, yes. I just I just hope uh, sheet goods aren't as expensive as it does. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. Maybe oh. stock up on that in the meantime too. No, not in right now. OSB in my area is going for like thirty five bucks a sheet. Is that, wait, that's better than it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was like 80 bucks a sheet. Yeah, but 35 is still... Yeah. Oh, it's still high. It's, I'm not it's still three that. times what it was, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was I was buying it for under $10 a sheet. Wow. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, I mean inflation, but uh, not that and, much inflation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah, all sheet goods are expensive. Actually, the uh, I did, I don't know if I talked about that. I did go through um, our big box stores and kind of looked at pricing. And, you know, the um, dimensional lumber, two by fours and such, uh, they weren't bad. They were basically what they used to be, maybe a, a buck or two more. But, man, sheet goods were still outrageously expensive. Yeah, I can't. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say something. I, I heard like Baltic Birch was still just absolutely astronomical. Right oh, now. you can't get it. Yeah, because it's on part of the, the band stuff. I guess I think I want to say I think Norway or somebody like that makes some of it. Or But um, yeah, the the traditional Baltic Birch that came from Russia. Yeah, can't get it anymore. So wow. yeah, I got I got like um no, that's my uh, that's my savings nest egg. I have like three sheets of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's too valuable to cut into at this point. <laughs> I've got some bamboo plywood I want to add to your collection. Yeah, it's well, too but... heavy. It's too heavy to pull out of the rack. That's my biggest problem. It's one inch thick bamboo plywood. I think it weighs like three hundred pounds of oh, sheet or man. something. Oh man, yeah, it's, it's not that heavy, but it's awful. Yeah, yeah. So it's just gonna stay there. <laughs> I've heard some some folks uh, that were actually using uh, Baltic birch for some of their uh, production stuff or switching over to stuff like bamboo. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's 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 great stuff, but I, I never I didn't really ever get used to the smell of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just heavy. It's really dense. Um, so like M- you know, MDF dense, dense or not? Almost. It's it's definitely it's a lot heavier than birch. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's because they they compress it and heat it, and that's part of how they make it stable. And so it it it's it ends up being pretty solid material. So, but the it has its own little and it's it does it has its own little things you have to remember when you're working with it. Like it's really likely to splinter and tear out, and yeah. God help you if you get one of those splinters under a fingernail or something. It's it's awful. <laughs> Um, in that, uh, in that a torture technique? Yeah, it was, I think, but no, I mean, it's the smell. It just, yeah. it, it's, I, it just made me feel gross and, wow. um, and it's supposed to be an eco-friendly, you know, low, low VOC, um, you know, formaldehyde free type product, but something about the smell just bothered me every time I went to work with it. So mm. I don't love it. I love the idea of it, but use, it wasn't, uh, it, yeah. Well, did y'all happen to see, um, remember a couple of weeks ago or a couple of shows ago, I'd been three or four, we were talking about that valchromite stuff that was kind of like MDF, but in different colors that it came in. I remember you mentioned it. I yeah. Yeah. So, 
So uh, Vic Teslin uh, did a post, I don't know, a week or two ago, and um, he got some of that for a new um, MFT uh, top for his festival MFT, you know, with the holes drilled and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was orange and it looked cool. <laughs> it's really cool. I, I forgot where he actually got it from, but yeah, somebody was actually making that, you know, for the MFT tables as a, uh, re, as a uh, new top for those things. Cause they are replaceable. And I was like, man, that is really cool stuff. I might have to try some of that, at least on some sort of project. <laughs> so that sounds like a Diami move right there. The, Oh, it definitely bright, is. bright colors. Yeah, yeah. Diami could have made that uh, that uh, table or the what was it? It was a uh, entertainment center type thing that he working on where he dyed all that stuff uh, <sighs> purple. He could have just <laughs> used this stuff. I think it comes mm-hmm. in a purple color. So you know, there you go, there you go. <laughs> so he he was definitely ahead of the curve on that. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, well, let's talk, Mark, about this furniture record that uh, project that uh, you posted about the other day. Yeah, I, I've been I've been thinking about this and I think I talked about this a few months ago, but mm-hmm. I've actually I've actually like gone to the trouble to flesh it out with a programmer, with a developer. And mm-hmm. um, the, the, the whole concept is like I look around the, my house and I, it is filled with pieces of furniture that. Uh, that I built, um, and there is no data on any of that stuff. Like there might be a signature and a date, mm-hmm. um, but there's really no record of like why I made it, who it was originally for, and and I know that there are people who have pieces in their house that maybe they didn't make, maybe their grandparent made or their great grandparent made, or maybe it's not so clear who made it. Um, so you know I've I've wanted to kind of eliminate that problem or at least maybe going forward you know kind of make an easy way to keep a record of all this stuff and also um i wanted to offer people the chance to acknowledge um who they may have taken inspiration from like either a teacher or a mentor or a uh, a book or a plan or a designer um and get that on a record you know like um something that could be searched by anyone uh, that could be called up in a hundred years because it's it's permanently stored. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of research with blockchain stuff, and and there are uh, file systems that are essentially eternal that are they're set up to be eternal. And um, so I'm I kind of just posed the idea to Instagram and got a lot of responses. You know, just like what kind of data would you want to know about a piece of furniture that either you made or that someone special to you made. Um, and so the idea is there, there'd be two copies, uh, of each record. Uh, one would go in the vault of the project and the other one would go to the person who, uh, who, who built the piece or created the record. And then as the pieces are handed down, the record gets handed down with it. Um, and so, you know, this piece, three or four generations removed from the person that made it, all the information is there, uh, you know, and it's all documented and, um, if you lose the record, the you can go back and search the database and find uh, the project copy, but mm-hmm. um, but you, I can't, you know, we won't be able to send you another one. Uh, it's you know, it's one of those things that there's only ever two copies, um, and that's basically to keep people from making fake records, uh, essentially. Um, and the the end goal is to 
you know, th this technology, it's going to be something, it's going to be like having an email address. Everybody's going to have a wallet that they can keep stuff like this in. It's digital. And um, it's, I, I want to, uh, ultimately, I want to build a version for professional woodworkers um, so that they can uh, send a copy out with each client. So if they mm -hmm. sell a piece of furniture, then then the project has a copy, the builder has a copy, and the client has a copy. And this provides authentication, proof of you know provenance right. of, of the piece uh, so that um, you can always tell whether it's real or whether it's a copy. And there's a lot of ways we can extend this out. I mean, I really, I'm really excited for the opportunity or the, the possibility of doing licensing of designs. Um, so... Uh, you could have, um, you know, Fine Woodworking publishes all these articles with how-to builds, but they don't really talk about like what the designer allows as far as fair use. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Some builders like Christopher Schwartz are like, you can build whatever you want, you can sell it. Um, yeah, that's just fine. give me credit for it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even yeah. you don't even have to do that. I mean, he doesn't care. You know, he, yeah. Uh, there are other people that want credit. There are other people yeah. that say you can make it for yourself, but don't. Don't go exactly, yeah. selling Don't it. Sell well, it. I mean, if if there was a system, because I think there are a lot of people who would willingly pay a licensing fee to make a piece of furniture and say it is a Christian Bexport inspired dresser mm -hmm. um, and, and sell it using his plans. If there was a way to pay a small licensing fee to do that, I think people would, um, you know, not everybody, but those people yeah. are already doing that. Right. They, they don't care. Right. Um, you, you can't really stop somebody from doing that. But if there was a way to do it, to, to build an efficient, officially licensed reproduction and actually get it, you know, have somebody like Christian Bexfort sign off on it, say, yes, uh, this is authorized. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'd be really cool. Uh, it would be a great way to keep track of the credit for who's done what and who created what, and also provide a small income stream for people who have done so much um, to move the, the craft forward and create new ideas and bring back old things that had kind of died. Uh, so that's, that's the way too long short story behind this project. Well, yeah, I think that is, that is super cool, but I think you can also store all kinds of information about the piece, like, Hey, what type of finish did you use? You know, adhesives were used and stuff like that. So down the road, if someone's having to, refinish a piece they could check that record and then go back mm -hmm. and say oh this is you know what type of you know dye or finish or whatnot uh adhesives were used you know mm -hmm. general construction type stuff so that if someone was refinishing or repairing a piece they would know a little bit more about it and uh maybe how to you know disassemble it or fix a particular thing or color match it or whatnot yeah i mean it's yeah. a There'd be, you know, certain things would just be like drop down fields. Like, you know, this is, it's oak, it's mm -hmm. mortise and tenon, it's a chair, it's a dresser. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can get, uh, there are ways to do just basically open strings of text. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you talk about, a fin you could write an entire finished schedule and save it. Um, you could put down the manufacturer and product number of every piece of hardware that yep. goes into that thing. Um you know, a hundred years from now, that may not be relevant um, because the manufacturers are not likely to be around, but you could at least look it up and see, you know, like it, it's just, it's all these things that people aren't really sure about these antiques that nobody really knows when they were made. Um, the idea is that you would, you would photograph the finished piece, you would photograph the piece in, in construction, and then you would try to find a distinctive grain feature 
inside the piece that would uniquely identify it um, if you compared the photo to the actual piece. And those would be the three that we would try to get people to submit the three photos. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, if you, if you made it in a class and there's an instructor with you and the piece, like put that picture in there, um, you know, just, and then I think, you know, if you, let's say you say, I, I want to see all the pieces that were made in a class that was taught by this professor or this teacher, mm -hmm. you could go and look at that, you know, and you could see you, there's this instant camaraderie between you and everybody who's ever taken a class with this instructor uh you know you can go back and look at the evolution of the pieces and um you know it's just sort of a it's sort of a living history database for hobbyist woodworkers you know to start with and you know i want to make it extremely inexpensive or you know ideally it would be free but um somebody's going to have to sit down and look at each submission and organ you know make sure that it's formatted properly and um and then turn it into a record. So at least in the beginning, you know, there may be a way to make it foolproof, but we don't want people like dumping really weird pictures <laughs> into the, <laughs> into the database to, to kind of hack the database. But cause once you, yeah. once you put Mark's it in the furniture record, and porn record, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Once you, once you put it in there, it's in there. Um, yeah. you can burn your copy and I suppose the project could burn its pro uh, copy, but, um, we don't want to have to do that at all to begin with. You yeah. know, I just want to kind of keep it in, in line with the the object of the project. So right. now, is there any way you've thought about actually tagging the piece via via some sort of, I mean, QR code or something like that? You would actually be able to put on a piece that could be scanned and access this record. I don't know. That's an interesting idea. Um, mm -hmm. The the problem with stuff like that is it, it can be taken off. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, oh, so, I was thinking about brands, but, you know, branding a QR code is, you know. Yeah, yeah. In, in wood grain, you know, with a <laughs> exactly. weird background. Yeah, That's it's going to work. Yeah, I think it's it's, you know, one of the the whole idea is like, oh, you can chip your furniture, put a, you know, drill out a little <laughs> thing and put a chip in it. And then you mean like so take when, a chisel and cut a chip off of it or. No, uh, no, no. I'm no, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, like yeah. dog tag it. Yes. Yeah, now, I, it. I think yeah. that I think that by by having the piece and having mm -hmm. the record. You have all the authentication you need. Yeah. Well, um, I was just thinking about something. Let Let's say, you know, I keep I keep wanting to say, hey, this would be great for somebody to, you know, repair a piece or something like that. But I'm looking mm -hmm. at it like down the road. Let's say 25, 50 years, 100 years down the road, uh, a piece winds up into some, you know, antique store or something like that, mm -hmm. and they want to find out more about the the actual piece. If there was something that was on the piece that they could then, hey, let me see if this is, you know, tagged in any way and get back to the furniture record, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, so you yeah. each each record will have a unique number. Uh, mm -hmm. So you could, I guess you could write the, like the sort of like a serial number on it, record ID. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, that that's good. It's a good thing to think about. You know, it's not, something that I, i've put too much thought into because i feel like if you're going to go to the trouble to register it uh you're going to keep up with the record yeah you'll have your copy oh um, no 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 doubt about it I just and so when like you once it passes through a few hands let's say it's a beautiful piece as all of our pieces are and it's uh, mm. heirloom quality and it does uh mm. go down through the ages you know it'd be nice to be able to circle back and say yes you know back in the early 21st century <laughs> mm -hmm. 
this piece was built by, you know, Mark. And, you know, here's all the identifying things. This is what he used to, to uh, build it with as far as the species and, you know, adhesives and finishes and all of that kind of stuff. It'd be interesting if there was some way you could identify on the piece so that it could get back to something like that. I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough challenge. I mean, that, yeah, that, I, it re- is, yeah. that, that requires, yeah. so, I mean, there's two, you know, you, you've got to, there's two, there's two competing requirements here. I mean, you, you have a record. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is transfer the record when you transfer the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's always a chance that it will get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things, like if you think that grandpa, you know, grandpa Kyle made this piece, you can go and look at grandpa Kyle's records. It's all there. Yeah. And there will be a photo of a distinctive feature of grain. And then you can say, is it on this piece? And if it matches, then, you know, you may not have the record anymore, but you know where the record is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think that's kind of how you would try to. um you know, to try to cipher that stuff out if you ever lost your copy of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's a that's a good question. I think, you know, giving people the number and letting them, if they wanted to put the number on on the piece, they could somewhere out of sight. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be pretty cool to, to find a piece like that, you know, 50 years from now and have somebody pull that number up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really hope that people would keep their copy of the record, but... <laughs> You know, so the initially we'll be keeping um, for anybody that doesn't have a wallet to like take full possession of their their copy. We would have a, a sort of a custodial system set up. But, you know, part of the process would be to encourage people to, to take responsibility and take take possession of their records. It's a sort of digital record that they can prove they own. Um, and so on the flip side, you know, we, if you go to from the hobbyist version to the professional version, um, having that record makes the piece more valuable because you could prove that it was made by a specific maker. Um, you know, so there's no wondering. So I think that, um, as people, this is, this is the way things are going to go, um, you know, for luxury goods, uh, for anything of high value, Mm -hmm. there will be a digital certificate of ownership and you will be expected to transmit that on resale. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, um, you're seeing it in bike manufacturers already. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard about, I know that like Rolex has them now. Uh, so if you can't, if you're trying to sell me a Rolex used or new and you can't give me the digital certificate of authenticity, I'm not buying it. It's not real. It's a new, it's a new serial number. Yes. I mean, that's, yes. That's and the it's, reality. Right. And it, well, it's not only a serial number, but it's one that you can, you can always confirm, you know, mm-hmm. so you can look at a Rolex and it has a number on the back and maybe it's the right number for that sequence. Um, but you know, you don't know for sure if, if that number exists, like if it was ever made, um, right. you know, or if somebody else has one with the same number on it, right. If it's, a, mm-hmm. if it's a full on forgery. Uh, so you can go and look, you can put that number in the database and search it and see that, um, no, that, that doesn't even exist. That's just some made up number, <laughs> you know, or, or yes, it does exist, but it actually belongs to somebody else. This is just, you know, um, there's either a copy out there that's, that's not the real thing and you're, and you're not holding it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, and I don't know that, you know, these are pieces of furniture. We're not, we're not talking about watches here, although this could be applied to smaller, you know, boutique manufacturers of timepieces and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I think that, the other upside is that um, 
as the technology that's that drives all of this these transactions forward as that becomes more uh, commonplace uh, a maker of a piece of furniture will be able to build in a very small royalty uh, in their pieces so that let's say you start out and very talented and as you get further along in your career you become even more talented and more well known uh, an older piece would be worth more money way more money later on than it was when you sold it and so as you've worked hard and built your career and your stature and your your design chops or whatever um, as those old pieces start to circulate and resell uh, you might get 10 or 15 dollars or 100 or a thousand depending upon what they're selling for routed to you whenever they change hands uh, that's not something mm-hmm. i would want to build into a hobbyist version um, but uh, the, the mm-hmm. technology is there and it will it will become as the transactions of purchase you know resale become more and more digital uh it'll be it'll be automated and you're going to start to see that i think in a lot of luxury goods as well um that you know if as things you can sell things for a little bit less money up front because it's sort of an evergreen royalty that flows to you over time and your heirs as well Mm -hmm. so but that's Mm. that's not quite that's not the goal that i'm looking at here here it's a it's a way to provide some a nostalgic record that's accurate um, and you know something that you can always look back to, to to know for sure where did it come from when was it made who built it um, and uh, you know kind of touch that that history a little bit more easily yeah yeah no I think that's great great and yeah I could definitely see a use for it in the professional arena but even for hobbyists it would be great you know at least to document that that kind of thing and be able mm-hmm. to to do it because you know um especially for you know hobbyists most hobbyists don't even sign their furniture in mm-hmm. fact all the pieces i've made they're not signed mm-hmm. um you know so it'd be a be an interesting way of you know you know saying hey i'm to the point now i wish i would have signed the furniture well now mm-hmm. you can you know in, yeah. in a way kind of yeah yeah it's it's just a it's just sort of a way to kind of yeah like put your stamp on things and mm-hmm. um and I think that, you know, it's it's easy for us right now to say, oh, people will know, right? They'll know that I made this for them. But the reality is that we're not very good at thinking long term. And yeah. um, people just lose touch with stuff. You know, they yeah, yeah. they forget the, the knowledge goes with a generation. And, you know, once it's gone, you can't get it back unless it's stored somewhere else, you know. And, I mean, go, uh, go, go to an auction or a rummage sale or an estate sale. And you'll see exactly that. Yep. yep. No, no longer do we know where this came from. Just somebody right. else picked it up. Right. And now you can you can pick up that handmade, you know, 100 years from now, you could pick up this handmade rocking chair and see that it has this number on it and say, oh, this was made by Kyle Barton. He gave it to, you know, this beloved family member to commemorate their graduation from college or their marriage or their first child. Mm-hmm. Right. So now all that context is available to you. and It'll mean more to you as the buyer. It'll mean more to the seller because the seller can explain, you know, like this is the history behind this piece. Um, and if if the if you're lucky enough to have the record handed from person to person, like transferred from one 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 wallet to another, then you have the entire history of ownership of the piece built in to the record because you can see it went from this wallet to that wallet to that wallet. Mm. Um, so that's another really cool. Um, you know, cool thing is like you could say, oh, you know, this chair was once owned by 
this famous person um, and you can prove it because here's a picture of the grain here's the record of ownership you know the tr- whole record of transfers and you know here's the record so yeah. i don't know these are all like weird you know i think weird use cases but i, I do think that having the context in the history yeah. long ways down the line is, is yeah that so. is cool well well let me uh, throw another interesting weird use case for such a thing sure is that um, I assume there would be an option for you to make that record private or public. And what I mean by that, let's say you had a piece of, let's say Malou furniture for lack of better, um, for an example. So let's say you had a piece of Malou furniture, but you were willing to sell it. Well, you can make that record public. So if anyone wanted something, they could search that and make you an offer on it. So you, the, the yeah. records themselves would be public already. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but yes, I mean, that does mm-hmm. create an opportunity for a marketplace. Yeah. Uh, so you, by listing the record for sale, you are listing the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you want to remain anonymous as the owner, you put it in an anonymously held okay. wallet that's not yeah. identified to you. you. Yeah. Uh, but by controlling the wallet, you can prove you own it. So um, so yeah, that that's a, that's a really uh, a great opportunity, you know, to, it's like if you're looking for an authentic piece of, Malou furniture and mm-hmm. there's 30 people out there that have these these records you, you can just find them you know you can mm-hmm. actually go searching for those wallets and send a message that says hey i would like to buy this yeah um do you still have it is it still whole uh so yeah and then you can easily authenticate it when you go see it because the pictures have to match um for it to be real uh, so it, it it's it, it makes a forgery really hard <laughs> <laughs> for a piece like that yeah yeah um, so yeah, yeah, I see that, you know, as a, a use case for higher end, uh, studio furniture, studio, studio furniture makers, mm-hmm. um, this could be a really a great tool for, you know, authenticating your pieces down the line. So, and I, like I said, it's really weird technology for most people right now. Um, but like, I, it's going to be like having an email address. You'll just have one or many. And, right. Um, so it, 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 you know, it may seem strange now, but in the future, it'll be it'll be pretty commonplace. Let's hope it's just one. With <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I've already <laughs> only got like, want one wallet. I've got like ten. Or <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That's the problem. You accumulate all these wallets. I'd rather just have one that has many different uh, subsections or something. Well, you like. can do that. Yeah. Yes, that's that is yeah. uh, that is a possibility. You can set up one wallet and have a very large amount of accounts inside the wallet. But, yeah. That's for another show. That's uh, it's a whole <laughs> different process. So part of the part of the projects, um, what it'll have to do is help educate people on how to take possession of these things, how to keep them safe, um, because it, there's no customer service. Once you own it uh, and mm-hmm. take possession of it, it, it is your responsibility f- forever. Um, so, you know, pe- people will learn uh, how to do that properly or th- they'll find other ways to to back up, I guess, to back up the ownership, mm-hmm. uh, to keep the, their, their passphrases, that sort of thing safe. Um, because, uh, th- there'd be a copy in the vault that you can refer to, but you can't take possession of that copy. It, it belongs to the project. So yeah, lots of interesting stuff. Yes. Yes. No, no, it's, um, it's fascinating. So what are you looking for now? What are the next steps? If so I, yeah. I've got a developer who can do it. Um, you know, I, I, I got a quote from him and then the cost and the time to kind of get things going. You know, I, I, 
I figure it, you know, I think I said in the Instagram post about five thousand dollars would would get it up and running and then keep it running for at least a year, probably more. Yeah. And um, it's one of those things where I'll probably make a a sample database for people to go and put data into and to see how it works. You know, like, hey, we can put a hundred records in this. Go out and do it. You know, play mm-hmm. with it. See, this will be our little minimum viable product. And um, that data won't won't go anywhere. It won't be real. It'll just be, um, you know, something to test the system out. Uh, and then um, ultimately, I would like the whole project to be com- owned by the woodworking community. So, um, you know, the, there would be an opportunity to make a donation after you've done a record. Um, and that donation would go into a pool to help kind of compensate people for uh, spending their time to, to help make sure each submission gets put in properly, um, answer questions, that sort of thing. And and maybe people don't want to get paid for that. I don't know. I mean, you look at Wikipedia, um, mm-hmm. just being a part of the project is enough for most people. Um, the actual cost, once the site is running and the hardware and the, or the, not the hardware, the software is in place, the actual cost to do a record is very, very small, uh, you know, less than a dollar. To, yeah. to put it in the database um, and move the things around. We're, we're using a chain that's that's very um, ecologically efficient uh, to handle these transactions. So uh, the cost to do business is low, and the, and the econ- ecological cost is also low. So so yeah, we're, I mean, I would love to have donations. I I, I was not expecting to talk about this today <laughs> so, um, so yeah I well mean, we're having it, a cruise show we needed a topic yeah, yeah well, this is a great topic yeah. if you're if you like this idea uh yeah. contact me you know it's market played 11.com um because um certainly the people that help make it happen will reward you know recognized mm-hmm. um in the course of you know putting the project together and I, it's one of those things if the project goes for three or four hundred years your name's gonna be on it as it happened uh so that's pretty cool i think yeah. So. Um, yeah, yeah. This seems ripe for something that, you know, once once you get some of the interest and the groundswell up there to do some to a crowdfund this or something like that. Yeah. And I think that yeah. ultimately it would be great if, if there's a pro version that gets developed, um, you know, the the professionals will be responsible for putting the stuff in properly because they have something mm-hmm. at stake. And so um, the upkeep would be lower for the pros. There would be a small fee, and hopefully that that would be enough to pay for the hobbyist to keep keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of a symbiotic relationship there between the people who are uh, you know making furniture for others and the people who are making furniture for themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it would be I don't know it's it's one of these things that um, this is a new technology and um, I feel like people in the crafts have a history of getting left behind on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't want that to happen with this. I think uh, you know, this is like the Internet in 95 um, where there's th- this whole new type of technology uh, is starting to be developed and uh, it'll be very ubiquitous here in 10 or 15 years. And if I can get if I can position some some woodworkers in a, in a place to take advantage of it just because they were exposed to it. Um, you know, kind of like getting into Instagram when it just started, um, mm-hmm. then then that would be great. I would I would feel like the project was a success. Um, you know, just because 
because we we kept up <laughs> or yeah. maybe we got ahead you know, it's, it's hard making a living as a, as a worker so you know. yeah well it it kind of brings me back uh, this past weekend i went to the uh, museum of fine arts here in houston mm -hmm. the bank of america free museum weekend which i encourage everyone if you you know if you do your banking with one of the uh, the uh, big banking things. I think a bunch of them have these, but you know, there's a certain like uh, for Bank of America, it's the first weekend of every month. You can go to various museums for free, which is oh, cool. fantastic. So um, uh, we uh, went to the uh, Museum of Fine Arts um, uh, this month and uh, I was going in, around there and I've been there a number of times, of course, but they had changed up their furniture exhibition exhibition they brought in some new pieces and um i took a shot of one of them i posted i think today a nice great little end table but yeah, it was sweet yeah it was made in new york by you know some furniture makers there in new york and they were serving high society clients it was a really nice piece and of course they knew who made it and all that kind of stuff but there were some other pieces that i'll probably post later on the week or next week that were absolutely also exquisite but it's like, you know, unknown I maker. Know. Yeah. Yep. And it's just like, you know, that's a shame because, you know, this was definitely, definitely the person that, that made it was known and definitely the person that probably first bought it knew who they bought it from. But at this point in time, all those records were lost. So, yeah. 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 And that kind of sucks. Well, and yeah, imagine. You see that stuff all the time. Maker unknown, author unknown. Yep. yep. Like, yep. Yep. Imagine, imagine you could not only. So that was made by a professional. It's, yeah. It's, you know, if it's exquisite. And who knows, these other pieces might not have been made by a quote unquote professional. They might have been made, you know, by somebody. I would assume back in the day they were probably professional, but you never know, you know. Could, well, there, there's yeah. the folk art side, yeah. folk folk furniture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the, I mean, the, those people are every bit as important as the mm -hmm. high, high furniture people. But, you know, imagine not only could you find out the entire history of that piece, like, where it changed hands, who held mm -hmm. it. But tied to that, you could also download a measured drawing, <laughs> you know what I mean, that was made by the maker. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could see their notes. You could see their sketches. You know, like all of these things could eventually be attached to uh, these records. Um, it's too much to do all at once. But uh, there, there's nothing to say that it couldn't be done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the more context, the more information, we have all this stuff. Um, but there's no like unified system to keep track of it. And so, so yeah, I, you know, there's just, there's so many cool things that could be done uh, with something like this and it's the technology is there to support it. It's time to, to play with it, give it a shot, see what happens. So, mm -hmm. so that's what I'm going to think I'm thinking about doing right now. Uh, still working still doing woodworking stuff here and editing videos and trying to get stuff out the door. I'm not making a lot of things right now. Um, but, um, at least not physical things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I spent some time in this new niche of technology and I think, oh, this is a really fun opportunity to get some woodworkers involved in something new, uh, that I think will really help them, you know, yeah. down the, down the road. So, well, I th yeah, I think it's an excellent idea and hopefully you'll get a bunch of good feedback and like yeah, I said, well, we can clap crowdsource this and be able to uh you know come up with the uh, money to develop it it would be fantastic yeah and i i think i've already got a ton of great feedback from instagram yeah. because i was you know I, I had a list of things that i would to attach to mm -hmm. pieces of information that i would want to attach to but um i threw it out 
out there and you know within two hours i doubled the size of the <laughs> list you know so that's great um yeah you know and then and there's a lot of people who are doing this professionally who are like well i would want to know like what did i charge um yeah maybe what I was don't the initial to... selling price yeah that would be right that would be fantastic yeah. maybe maybe so if so it's one of those things where everybody would have to decide what they want to put in and it's all there are a few things a very small subset of things that would be required right um you know the physical identifying things about the piece but mm-hmm. all the background is kind of up to the person that makes the record so if you want to say it's for my son henry uh, you can do that or you can say it's for a relative or you can say it's just for my child or you know you, you have an option to be vague or be very specific it's up to you um so there may be some makers who don't want to name their clients uh, but maybe they they'll say that it, it went to this city um you know yeah. Uh, or this state or this country. Um, and then the client, because if for the professional version, the client would also have their own copy. So, um, you know, they they would be able to prove they had it. You didn't have to be specific in the record because they would hold it. You know, they would mm-hmm. be holding digital proof that they that they owned it. So. Um, so, yeah, that allows people to be really detailed or really vague. It's up to the, you know, the, the builder or the customer. If the customer doesn't want to be identified, then they don't need to be identified. Um, so. So yeah, it's it's I don't know it's it's a whole it's like more information and less information at the same time you know mm-hmm. it's uh, and uh, you know I have uh, in one of these buildings I have like 30 pieces of plywood that have the the size the date and the number of every table that was built by Norman's Furniture you know mm-hmm. for like for like 15 years this is huge and I there's nothing I can do with that um, it's on chunks of plywood you know and they would just hang a little slate of plywood up and add to it. And when it was full, they'd get another one. And it was just scrap that was laying around the shop. Um, and there was more, there was a much yeah. deeper history, but it burned, it went, it got burned in a fire. Um, yeah. And that was the only record was those mm-hmm. pieces of plywood. So, um, you know, they'd put that into a system and when the table sold, they had listed the customer name, then, you know, the customer could go back and see who made it, uh, who finished it. You know what the finish was, what the color was of the stain, uh, all these things that you have to kind of guess at when you've got an old piece of furniture. So yeah. there's a lot of reasons to to gather this information up and put it somewhere for you know from every different angle. So yeah, and I haven't found a reason not to put it in there yet. I'm sure no. somebody will come up with it. <laughs> but well, no, this is definitely cool. Definitely cool. I like this. Well, with that, let's move on to our fortnightly beer choices. Yeah. So um. I'm still on the uh, cider train, choo-choo, and uh, so, and I'm still on the same cider too. It's the Austin East Ciders Blood Orange Cider, and um, yeah, it's truly fantastic. My my wife has really fallen in love with this particular um, flavor of cider, the Blood Orange. I need and, you to uh, ship me some of that stuff. That sounds. Oh, it's mm-hmm. really it's really good, and uh, yeah, we just can't get enough of it. So. Um, I don't know. Well, we'll see if I, uh, if you know that this may be our summer drink, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, but we'll see. So Sean, what are you drinking? So uh, by recommendation of our previous guest Megan Fitzpatrick, uh, I found astronaut food made by Urban Artifact. Glad to find that in my local beverage store. Uh, little eight ounce cans because it's awfully heavy at fifteen percent. <laughs> um, <laughs> 15 um, what 15 percent one five one five percent yeah so so did you I, I guess it's only sold in a liquor store i mean it's it's a normal beer store 
Oh, really? Okay. We yeah, don't have I mean, separate Ohio stores. Ohio doesn't do it like all other states. It's everything. I can get wine, booze, and beer in the same place. Yeah, in Texas, I don't know what the cutoff is. And it may be higher than 15%. Yeah, yeah, in Ohio. But yeah, yeah, I know there's a cutoff that um, yeah. it can only be sold in grocery stores and convenience stores at this particular right. yeah, alcohol and, and this, level. This, yeah, this I don't believe it would be in a grocery store. But yeah. um, there was a whole distribution law in Ohio cap things i think at 12 percent for non-wine liquor whatever no so i know we're higher than 12 but anyway. and it lit but that lifted and so <laughs> yeah. now we're seeing the 20 percent things like it's kind mm-hmm. of kind of wild um yeah. but i was really glad to see this because she mentioned it and i was like i don't know i've seen urban artifact i've had a couple of theirs but i haven't seen that but i just happened to find it today so, so, so is it it is it fruity it is it's it's a yeah. it's a it's a tart fruity it's a yeah. raspberry you know blackberry blackberry yeah Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, it, um, it comes as, as that kind of like tart fruit, like a, it's, a, it's a darker fruit. Yeah. Um, I had my wife tried it and I, I poured it out, you know, into a glass for her and, and she said, Oh, I don't know if I like this. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's, but it is. And, the but she's like, liquid, she's like, yes. that, that's a one and done was her, <laughs> was her claim. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's heavy. Um, yeah. Because of because of the style and it's like Megan had previously described, it's a freeze dried fruit thing. It's the whole idea of like I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it's the freezing in in distillation and not distillation brewing in some way, but like you're yes, able yes. to concentrate in a way, mm-hmm. and and that really I mean they're they're doing it. I mean this is this is Urban Artifact is a small ish you know, brewery, uh, in the Southern, uh, state of Ohio. And, um, it's, uh, it was good. I'm really glad it was expensive, but it was, it was good. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Kyle, how about you? What you got? Oh no, you're no. sorry. Mark, you know Mark, what I'm what you got? I, you don't have to ask me. So some you know, hazy, it's, IPA. hazy little it's thing. Some hazy yeah, IPA. Yeah. <laughs> keep it simple. Works. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what, what are you still on? It's Sierra Nevada. It's hazy little thing. Um, it's a little thing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, I go in the stores and I tried um I, I, this one that I've tried but recently again as a different version. There was Space Camper IPA, right. and uh, it's a Boulevard Wheat Boulevard Brewing Company beer, mm-hmm. and they they came out with a hazy Space Camper, and it just it's too it was too lemony, you know, like uh, mm. just a little more sour than I was looking for, and um you know I just I I try I when I go like when I go to little breweries. I always really like the the other hazies, but in, as far as like things that I can just buy in the store, um, it's hard to beat the Sierra Nevada. So that's where yeah, I usually sure. end up. You know, I'll go. It takes me two weeks to drink a six pack of beer. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I've got to I've got to like it for a while. I'm gonna be stuck with it. Right. So yeah, I'm awesome. the only one in the I'm the only one in the house that drinks beer. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Well, your son's a little young yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's well, true. so I let me let me clarify that I am the only one in the house who drinks IPAs. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. My wife okay. does like beer, but she does not like IPAs. So my my wife loves IPAs. I'm not a huge fan of them, and I have a almost 19 year old son. No, not legal in the United States, but he's getting closer and closer to asking for a little taste at home. <laughs> uh, and so it might be maybe, legal in your state at home. It's not. It's not at, at home, uh, really. Although that, yeah, he likes to think of that. I haven't read into the the books to find that out or not. Yeah, I don't know. I read somewhere that in this state, you can you can 
order a beer for your kid and hand it to them in Absolutely. a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. We were at a <laughs> local small concert a week ago and he's him and his girlfriend who is a Canadian citizen and in 19, you can drink alcohol in Canada and that's a, we can get there easily. It's a really weird thing up here because you know, it's as close as Detroit is getting into another country. And, uh, um, you know, we were there and he's like, Hey, you get us a beer. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, nope. you're not. No, I don't care if you're with us or not. Yeah. No, not, not, not yet. Not yet. That day will come. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what the, the legal thing is here in Texas, but I think it used to be that way as far as minors, so adult could give minor, a alcohol yeah. beverage, but I'm not sure that's still true or not. I don't know. I'm fairly certain at home it's okay. In restaurants, probably not. Um, there's some local horror stories of you know adolescent drinking and death and car crashes and stuff. So yeah. I, I'm not certain on this. Yeah. All I know is when I was a kid, every time I tried a beer, I thought it was the most disgusting thing in the world. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm so happy my kids still have that. Like, oh God, what is that? Oh, jeez. Perfect. Uh, it's fine with me. You wouldn't like it. It doesn't. No, yeah. no. Exactly. Well, with that, um, let's move on to where folks can find us on the interweb. So, what about you, Mark? Uh, Plate11.com or JointEffort.net. Those are the two best places to look for me. Okay. What about you, Kyle? Well, if someone wants some feedback to you, should they just hit you up on Instagram? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. You, yeah. If you want to, uh, on Instagram, I'm at MarkBuildsIt. Uh, I'm also there. I'm on Twitter. At Mark Builds It is a good thing to search if you want to find me on a, on a network somewhere. But um, yeah, you can just email me directly, Mark at Plate11.com, or uh, hit me up on Instagram at Mark Builds It. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you can always find me on Instagram at Barton.Kyle or BB Custom Tools, BBCustomTools.com, or on YouTube under BB Custom Tools and Kyle Barton. Sean, what about yourself? I will. I have to mention that I had to stop my wife from tossing your little PP custom tools sticker that I got in the mail. <gasps> so, no, no, I need that. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but I need that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, when my internet isn't pissing me off, you, know, you can find me at Sean W78 <laughs> on most social medias. You know, you can put that on the side of your beehive or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's got bee, bee bees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so do we have any reviews? Is that me this week? That's you this week? I am. Okay, well, so uh, these reviews were all about Megan's appearance on the podcast. Uh, and this first, um, <laughs> the name of this first reviewer was interesting. It's Zach Stinks. Uh, but underscore Zach Stinks. Is, Zach, yes, Zach underscore Stinks. Excuse me. He's very excited to... Uh, to listen to Megan's episode. Can't wait to listen. Uh, Old Timey Tools gave us three hand clapping emojis. And Glenn R. Lewis said that Megan was an exceptional podcast guest. So thanks for coming on the show, Megan. And thank you to the three of you who left reviews. Uh, we really appreciate it. We can't do this. Well, <laughs> it's really a lot more fun when we know people are listening. So uh, <laughs> leave your comments. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, give us some stars, um, do something, you know, let us know you're out there. 
and uh, and we will uh, gladly report back that you've contributed to the podcast. Yes. As one of my podcasts I listen to says, if you like what you heard here, please leave us one of those five-star reviews. If you don't like what you heard here, then forget I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> and that just about wraps it up for this show. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. But the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.